If you have your Bibles, I want you to uh, turn your Bibles with me to the book of Luke. Specifically, chapter number 15. I want to read, beginning at verse number 11, a very well-known passage of Scripture um, about a story that's known. Within the Hebrew tradition, the story is known as the prodigal son. And, uh, of course, the word prodigal doesn't appear in Scripture there, but it's a word that simply means wasteful and extravagant because this boy, this young man, was wasteful with his dad's resources. He was extravagant. And also he was in the process of wasting his life and his talent, his ability. But as you read the story... I noticed that the boy was not the only one that was extravagant and could even be seen as wasteful. Uh, but the father was also extravagant and over the top. And uh, in verse number 11, it says, He said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." And he arose and came to his father, and when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I want you to notice here that it says that when he went to the far country, after he had wasted his sustenance and spent all, there arose a mighty famine. And finally, when he arrived, his father ran and kissed him. And the last thing is he said, kill the fatted calf. I forgot to do this. I'd like to uh, dismiss our junior high class for their uh, time together right now. Junior high students, middle school, you guys can be dismissed. God bless you. Uh, but on this Father's Day, I want to bring you what the Lord has laid on my heart about our Heavenly Father. And uh, the 
by way of a title today, I just am selecting three words from this story. And by chance, they all start with F. And the three words are the famine, the father, and the fatted calf. The famine, the father, and the fatted calf. Can we ask God to speak to us today? Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. It feels so good to be in the house of the Lord today. It feels so good, Lord Jesus, to feel your power and your presence. And we pray, Jesus, that over the next few moments in this house, that your anointing would be upon your servant to speak a word, that hearts would be open to receive a word, that you would be exalted, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up. And Lord, as you're lifted up, people would be drawn to you. We pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you, and you may be seated. These uh, three words, two of which figure prominently in Scripture, the word famine appears 96 times in the King James Version of the Bible. The word father, of course, appears 10 times that frequently, 970 times. But the fatted calf only appears once. One time in Scripture, three times mentioned, but it's in this exact story in Luke chapter, uh, chapter number 15. But I want to start by focusing on this biblical uh, concept of a famine. In 2018, living in the United States of America, we really can't conceive of uh, what a famine is like. But in the story of the prodigal son, when he had gone to his father and made a Ridiculous request. Of course, Jesus is telling this story to a Hebrew audience. And his ridiculous request was, I know that I'm going to be a benefactor of your great resources at some point, but I want you to figure what belongs to me and let me go my way with your resources. The father agreed to this, and the young man, as he went out, wastefully splurging, kind of like somebody that wins the lottery, and uh, until the resources were spent, and uh, a famine comes. And during this time of famine, the young man becomes very, very hungry and find out, found out that the friends that he had weren't as good of friends as he thought that they were. When a famine comes, especially in ancient times, it was very destructive. We can't conceive of it today because when we think of a tough time, we, well, the closest thing that I can think of is the, the financial housing loan bubble crash of 2009. And that was catastrophic and traumatic for many families, many of which lost their homes. Of course, in SoCal, we've experienced a few years prior to the last couple of years of drought where our Southern California water reserves became iffy. This is the closest thing to famine that we can really relate to other than stories we've heard or pictures we've seen. But in ancient times, when a famine would come, it was a major, major issue. Because if it didn't rain, then before long, the crops would fail and the animals would suffer. And there wasn't an endless supply of resources. There were no grocery stores or restaurants to run to. When the crops didn't uh, produce when they failed, when the animals begin to get slim, suffer, and then die, what would happen is people would begin to starve. Literally, many, many people over the years have died as a result of We even see 
uh, from a lineage of caring for and keeping animals. And so when famine came and there was no grass, no grain, before long the animals would begin to suffer and die and the shepherds would have to take up all of their belongings and try to seek out some land that could sustain their flocks. Now, when you look in the Old Testament at famine, you see that in typology it refers to testing that people have to go through. And in 2018, though we don't face the type of famine and the circumstances of famine that they did back then, we go through seasons, dry seasons and times of tests and trials spiritually. And so as we look at the reality of a physical famine in the Old Testament, we can learn some things about spiritual times of testing that we go through. One thing that I discovered in the Old Testament is that during times of famine, people are often displaced from where they once were. Look at the first famine in Scripture. The first famine in Scripture happened after Abraham landed in the Promised Land. And during a season of famine, he was displaced from the Promised Land and went back to Egypt. For whatever reason, because of a lack of sustenance, he ends up going to Egypt, which we know in Scripture is a type of the world, leaving the Promised Land, displaced and heading to Egypt. Isaac, later, many years later, in a time of famine, was about to make the same move, and God spoke to him and said, don't go back to Egypt. Nonetheless, he was displaced somewhat because he went to a place called Gerar, which was a Philistine region. And, and, and what's interesting is in both of these cases, the famine displaced them and the famine put them in direct line of testing. And what happened? Both of them failed the test. They uh, came into a land where, uh, bo- this happened to both of them, by the way, where it was noted that their wives were very beautiful. And so instead of saying, this is my wife, both of them said at different seasons in time, this is my sister and putting their wives in peril. So the point being is famine has a tendency to displace. Famine is emblematic of times of testing and trial in our lives. And I want to tell you that something happens when a person begins to experience spiritual famine. Spiritual famine creates restlessness and uh, uh, dissatisfaction and looking for something. And, and I found this in my own life. Do you, do you know, let me just be honest with you, sometimes even pastors get inconsistent in their prayer life. Sometimes spiritually mature people fall off the wagon in their Bible reading. Can I get an amen from somebody? You're making me nervous out here on my own, right? But it happens. The reality is whether you've been in church just a few weeks or whether you've been in church for years, when you spiritually stop feeding on the Word of God, then you find yourself in a spiritual famine and it makes you restless. And the displacement of which I speak doesn't necessarily mean that you go somewhere else, a different city or a different church. It just means that your spirit and your heart begins to wander. Your desires begin to wander and you're no longer satisfied. You no longer feel sustained and You may say, well, I've been coming to church, Pastor, and I listen to preaching once a week. I'm going to tell you right now, if that's all you're eating, then you're suffering. Amen? If that's all you're eating, if if the only praying you do is when you come to church, and the only time you're in the Word of God is when you're at church, you're in a famine. Oh, that's why I've been restless. 
That's why I've been struggling with temptation. That's why I've been fighting battles I don't need to fight anymore. Because the Bible says that the Word of God is the bread of life. And if you want to be spiritually sustained, you've you got to have a relationship with God through His Word. It's not enough to depend on a pastor for 30 minutes on Sunday. Amen? To say, okay, that's going to satisfy my spiritual desire. But the Word of God is to be daily ingested. Give us this day our day daily bread. Of course, that's talking about natural bread, but spiritually it's the same. And if you are in a time of spiritual famine, self-imposed, if you would, before long you will have a restlessness that will cause you to wander. Look at what Amos says in 8.11. It says, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And something happens, and when you are in a time of spiritual famine, you will find yourself facing testing and trials and challenges. And many people in a season of famine will wander away from the Father's house, will wander away from that place of connection and relationship with the Word of God and with the God of the Word. I want to show you an example in the book of Ruth here. This, is, this got a hold of me today in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says of this man named Elimelech and his wife, whose name was Naomi, you become a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm glad you asked because it's an interesting story. The story in the book of Ruth says this. It says, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was what? A famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the name of his two sons Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of the Bethlehem Judah region. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now, I could read, continue reading in just a verse or two later. It says that all of them except Naomi pass away. The two sons pass away, and all that's left is Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Ophrah and Ruth, right? So I'm not going to burden you with the rest of the story. I just want to bring this to your attention, is that when there was a famine in Judah, this man and his wife sojourned. It caused them to be displaced. It caused them to wander. And guess where they ended up? They ended up in a place called Moab. Now, this is fascinating, y'all, because Moab was named after the man who founded that region and the family that occupied that region. Guess what his name was? Moab. Y'all are sharp. Moab. Now, who was Moab? Do you know who Moab's dad was? Anybody know biblical genealogy? Who's Moab's dad? Moab's dad was Lot. Who was Moab's grandpa? Lot. Ooh. Let me just finish the story out here because you guys are confused. Like, I'm my own grandpa. What happened was when Lot left Sodom and Gomorrah, there was such a stain of sin on him and his family. His wife turned into a pillar of salt. You know the story. Then he and his daughters escaped. The two girls said, hey, we're not going to have any kids. 
And so they got their dad drunk. And they became impregnated by their father. And the baby that was born, one of the daughters, who had the same dad as grandpa, through this ancestral relationship, was named Moab. Here's the interesting part. You know what Moab means in the ancient Hebrew? It's, it's an apparent coming together of two words, Mo and Ab, or Ab. Ab is short for Abba, which is father. And Mo means what is, who is, or what's the name of. The idea of literally Moab means who is your father, or who's your daddy. That's what Moab means. I'm like reading this, I'm like, seriously, it means who's your daddy? That's an ironic name to name your kid when it's a product of incest, isn't it? Who's your dad? But here's the point I want you to get. Is when famine causes you to wander, you'll end up in a place where you wonder who your father is. Where you don't even know who your spiritual father is. We're not talking about a pastor. We're talking about our heavenly father here. Because what happens here, let me just try to break this down to you. We all know who God is. But I notice in the story of this prodigal son that when he finally got to his lowest point, he said, maybe dad will let me come back and be a servant. Well, he knew who his dad was. He knew where his dad lived. But he had really forgotten the nature of his father. He knew If he really sat and thought about who his dad was, he would never think that his dad would force him to be a servant. He knew his dad would receive him back as a son, but when you get in a season of famine, you'll forget the nature of your father. You'll forget the love of your father. You'll forget the forgiveness of your father. You'll forget the characteristic of your father because if you wander too far, you'll wind up in Moab and you won't know who your father is. So famine can take you away from the presence of of God. Famine can cause you to wander to a place of disconnect. But, but I also want you to notice that, that another product of famine or another effect of famine, which is very ironic, is when you look in the Scripture, is that famine can also be restorative and redemptive. How can the same famine that separates be the same element that restores and redeems? When you look at uh, the story of Joseph in Scripture, uh, God gave a dream And he interpreted the dream. And the dream was that a famine is coming. But because of the famine, in in light of the famine, in light of what had been saved during that time, the whole world came to Egypt. The whole world came to where Joseph was. And if Joseph's a type of Christ, famine brought them to the type of Christ. But greater than that, it was the very famine that was bringing havoc to the world is what restored Joseph back to relationship with his father. Did you notice that? It brought his family back to Egypt. And the story is the same here as we read in the story of the prodigal son is the same famine that drove him to the pigsty, the same famine that almost made him eat the pig feed because nobody would help him. The same famine that was about to destroy him is the famine that woke him up. Amen? And there are times when a person finally comes to themselves. I've seen it before in many lives and sometimes even in my own life when I recognize uh, that, hey, I'm hungry 
Something's happening here. I shouldn't be in this type of situation. I know better than this. I know where there is some bread. I know where I can at least survive. I may not have the same inheritance. I may not have the same blessing. I may not have the same potential, but I can even survive. Well, guess what? If I think all of that, then I'm forgetting about who my father really is. And so the thing that I notice about the famine is one thing the famine can do is cause you to be in a wandering frame of mind to separate you from your relationship with God. But at the same time, a famine can produce a wake-up call. And the Bible indicates here that, that this young man, in the midst of this famine, as it strikes this boy, he wakes up finds himself. He says, I can't live like this anymore. And during the famine, first of all, he had joined himself to the citizen of a strange country, made an alliance with the world to try to survive. And in the result, in the end result was he found himself having to ignore his deeply rooted values just to survive and feed swine. And this when he wakes up and comes to himself and begins to think about his father. He says, I will arise. So I want to transition to talking about the famine and talk for a moment about the father. And in this story, the father here is a type of our heavenly father. And on Father's Day today, we of course are thankful for our earthly fathers. Some people though today, as was already mentioned, didn't have an earthly father or their earthly father is already gone. And uh, there are others who had a father who was not ideal and uh, perhaps uh, left them in want of much. Well, the reality is, is all of us fathers fall short of our heavenly father. We're doing our best to follow the model of our heavenly father. But when we look at our heavenly father, there's some powerful things that we see. Now, with regards to earthly fathers here on Father's Day, I'm always reminded of this quote by Mark Twain. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. And, but when I got to the age of 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in the last seven years. And uh, Jewish tradition insists that fatherhood is not necessarily just biological. This means the one that raises the child is considered the true parent, the true father. And uh, in the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul reference spiritual fathers, and so teachers are like fathers, so much so that their honor takes precedence in situations where a biological father didn't take care of being the one that raised the child. It's the teacher who provides what a father should, guidance, values, discipline, direction, and love. And the New Testament challenges us, fathers, to see the word father not as a noun, but as a verb. Father is a noun that describes what a person is, but to father means to do things that would provide guidance, values, discipline, direction, and love. And I want to just pause and say this. This isn't even in my notes. This just dropped into my spirit. As Life Church begins to grow over the next few years, there is going to be a tremendous need for spiritual parenting. What do you mean by that, Pastor? What I mean is God is calling some of you to begin to father people. 
God is calling many of you to begin to parent people spiritually, to, to provide guidance, love, direction, these things that I mentioned. And the thing is, is if you, it's kind of similar with when you have a little baby. I remember when my wife and I had a baby and I, I realized that I was a father. When Cambry was first born, I realized I'm a father. And I'm like, I have no idea what to do. I'm like, there is absolutely no training manual, no point-by-point point direction on, on how to be a father. I don't know what to do. I feel, anybody else, I mean, you, you don't have to raise your hand, but just nod your head. When you became a parent, you felt inadequately prepared. Anybody feel that way? Michael, by the way, happy first Father's Day. Isn't that awesome? But you were just a kiddo when he came along, and you're probably like, I don't feel qualified for this. That's the way I felt. But guess what? I learned. And the problem is, is God is calling many of you to be spiritual parents, spiritual fathers, and you feel disqualified so you don't step up into the role. Now, when you're a natural parent, you don't have a choice. It's like you've got to learn to be a father. It's like the baby's crying, and you're like, i got to do something. One of my uh, friends, I was around when he adopted a child, and the little baby was left with him for the first time, and uh, he called me because the baby was, was crying and he says, Rich, what do I do? I'm afraid, I'm afraid this baby's going to die. <laughs> he didn't know what to do. You had to figure it out, right? You just got to figure it out uh, because you have no options and no choices. The problem with spiritual parenting is it's optional. You can sit on the sidelines and let the kids suffer and struggle. Spiritual kids, see what I'm saying? And so you got to say, you know what? I'm going to step into this. I'm just going to start loving giving direction, spending time, focusing on people, because this is what life studies is all about. It's all about stepping into discipleship, which is spiritual parenting. So we are called to father. Amen? Come on. We are called to father and to parent, and this is what the Lord is calling us to do. Amen? I don't want to get off track here, but I feel like this is uh, an important thing for this season in our church. And one of the biggest threats in our generation is... We're raising kids with a family that's been broken down. And lifelong marriages were originally the foundation for social order. And everything rested on this. And, uh, but when the family begins to unravel regionally in an area, uh, in, in a culture, everything else is adversely affected. Uh, and so it's important. I, I just want to admonish those that are fathers here or those that are young men here today that God is calling us to stand up and to be uh, uh, good fathers and good leaders in our culture and in our society. And the problem is we, we see it in culture that Satan's tactic is to destroy the concept of a father in society and to also cause us to have a misconception of our father. Now the story of the father here and the prodigal son, I want you to notice one thing is he did not go looking for his son. Some people are surprised that if the father represents God, why didn't he go looking? Some people are surprised that God doesn't, uh, God acts like the father in this story. He does nothing to stop the son from taking advantage of him. He doesn't even try to keep him from leaving home. He doesn't try to stop him from engaging in the behaviors he knows will be destructive to the young man's life. Why? Well, think about it. Isn't it disturbing that God refuses to step in and stop people from doing what's wrong? Well, God, what are you doing? Why, God, do you have a non-interference policy? Amen? Why don't you get in there and, and stop what's happening? You know why? Because God has given us free will. 
And if he interfered, it would no longer be free will. And uh, uh, sometimes we think we'd like God to be more controlling, uh, especially when it comes to other people. God, why don't you step in and... Come on, God. It's time for a little adjustment there. But, but, but God knows the moment he forces us to do his will, it's no longer obedience and it means nothing. So he doesn't interfere, but he loves. And uh, notice that the father doesn't go to the distant country in search of the son. He doesn't rescue him against his will. He will let him go until he discovers for himself that the world is a lie. Another thing about the father is your heavenly father is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. My brother AJ's here with us today so he can concur. Um, my dad had three boys and he opted not to spoil them. And I'm thankful for it. I wasn't thankful then, but I'm thankful now. You know what's crazy about my dad? He wouldn't even let me sleep in, not even on Saturday. I mean, I could sleep in maybe, what, maybe 9 o'clock, 8.30 or something like that, and he'd come in and said, are you a hound dog? Get out of that bed. Come on. Go do something. <laughs> so uh, to this day, I like if I look at the clock and it's 9 o'clock and I'm still in bed, I'm like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> you know, and my dad didn't help me, didn't pay for my car. I had to pay for my own car. I had to work a part-time job, full-time job in the summer. He didn't pay for my college. I had to pay for my own college. And I found out later, he probably had enough money to pay for it if he had wanted to. But it, the thing is, is he, he was not interested in my comfort as much as he was interested in my character. See, this is the thing you need to understand about God because you'll get a misconception. Recently, I was talking to somebody about what I went through at a season in my life that was very challenging and difficult. For three years, I was discouraged and depression felt like I'd made a huge mistake. It wasn't about marriage. It was about finances. We just need to clarify that right now, huh? Woo! Like Pastor Brown. Yeah, we talked. Financial choice I made in my youthful aggression. And, uh, and so he, here's the deal. I was like, God, you can fix this. You can turn the economy around. You can make my house worth more than what I paid for it instead of 115000 less than what I paid for it. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been through those seasons. And uh, I realized that those three years forged something in me in the way that I lead, in the way that I make decisions, leading this congregation, leading my family, that would not have been there had I not gone through that season. And so today, even though then I couldn't, today I can thank God for that season because it forged something in my character that wouldn't be forged any other way. And some of us need to understand that, that, that oh, oh God, God, you don't have enough. You don't have enough money to take care of this for me. No, I'm trying to teach you something. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can take care of whatever he needs to. But in the meantime, maybe there's some lessons you need to learn along the way. And rather than thinking that God is stingy, understand that God is gracious, but he's more concerned with your character. See, when you get in Moab, you'll start misinterpreting who your father is. When you're in a season of famine, you'll wonder whether God's good or not. But I want to tell you, your heavenly father loves you, and the amount of love that he has is boundless, uh, but his character is that he is not going to force you to do the right thing. He's going to let you make some mistakes and learn some powerful lessons from the mistake that will shape who you are and how you lead other people. Come on, somebody. You believe that that's true? My, 
my dad, uh, I, I remember this. When I took a part-time job, uh, it wasn't that important, uh, you know, of a job. I was scooping ice cream. And, uh, but I would be on the schedule, and there was something happening that I wanted to go to. Maybe it was camp meeting or some big event or my friends were doing something, and I was like, uh, but, but he had driven it into my character that, that you don't call out of work. You don't miss work. And uh, so, so you're, you're, you're there, right? It doesn't matter if you have to tell your friends goodbye and walk away and go to work. And then I had another friend who uh, I watched, and AJ may know who I'm talking about, who uh, his parents were cool with him. Just he would call in, say, I can't make it in tonight. So he had like six jobs in, in two years, you know, because they're not going to keep put up with that. Uh, but I looked the other day and saw on character, builds into your character. And our Heavenly Father is the same way. He's concerned about our character. How many are thankful that God is that way with us? He wants us to be. And, and everything that I go through in life is God training and, and teaching me. And my dad would not take my side against authority. Whenever I was maybe done wrong, he always would side with authority. And then also my dad was one to bring about at times painful correction, which means I got spankings when I was younger. And then when I got older, I got body slammed. I was 17. <laughs> and my attitude was out of control because I thought I was super cool. But dad flipped me over as I mouthed off to my mother and put me on the ground. Some of you heard the story. got in my face. I could smell coffee. Talk to me. You're never going to talk to your mother like that again. Correction. Amen. But the Bible says in Deuteronomy that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Why? Not because he's mean, but there's some corrections that have to be made. And I'm thankful to God even for the chastening at this point. Even though while I'm going through it, I'm not grateful for it. When I look back and I see how it shaped and adjusted who I am, I can say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I'm not going to get a misconception of who my father is during a season of famine in my life. And dads who care will correct and warn. But here's the last thing I want to say today. I'm not going to take that much longer. But I want you to notice that our Father's love is boundless. And in order to experience everything God has for you, you have to come out of Moab. And eventually, Naomi and Ruth came out of Moab, and God blessed them, blessed Ruth. She, be, she had a child who became a progenitor of King David and Jesus Christ himself. But she had to come out of Moab. And the thing is, is in order to get everything that God has for you, you've got to come out of Moab. And what is Moab? Moab is questioning about your father. It's not just a, a question of, of, of your paternity, who, who is your uh, father. It's more of a question of what's the character and nature of your father. Because that's what had to happen to this young man sitting in a pigsty as he sat there, was thinking about taking the, the husk and put it in his mouth and trying to survive. And he's like, I don't know. I mean, would he let me come back? I mean, if, if he did, if, if he did let me come back. See, the famine had gotten him so twisted that he forgot about the character of his father. When you see what his father did, you have to know that that boy knew growing up that his dad would always be there for him that his love was limitless, extravagant, parodical, wasteful, over-the-top, flowing, 
He should have known that about his dad. But something about a famine gets it twisted in your mind, and you're wondering, would he even take me back? Surely he'd let me have something. Surely he wouldn't let me. I'm never going to be a, a part of the family again, God, and the plans for me are sure done, but maybe, maybe. See, the problem is, is he knew who his dad was. He knew where his dad was, but he had forgotten who his dad was. And in Moab, before you can come out, before you can experience everything that God has for you, you've got to understand the character of your, of your father. See, the Bible says even a father, if his son asks for a fish, is not going to give him something harmful, a scorpion. If he asks for a loaf of bread, any dad is not going to, his son's hungry. Hey, dad, can I have some bread? Here you go, here's a stone. He said a father's not going to do that. How much more shall your father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask for it? God has good things. Our Heavenly Father has good things. But in order to receive what God has for us, in order to step into the fullness of God's favor and blessing in our life, you can't be in God's favor and blessing and be in Moab at the same time. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you can't have a concept about God that wonders whether he loves you, whether he would forgive you, whether he would take you back, whether he would restore what's been stolen. If you're still wondering about your father that way, the first thing that has to happen is you've got to get a revelation of your father. See, the Bible, come on now, the Bible says when they ask Jesus, how ought we to pray? Jesus says, this is how you start. You say, our father, which art in heaven, because you got to get it right first you got to understand the power of the relationship and the nature of your heavenly father or you can't tap in to the resources of heaven oh come somebody help me right now this is where <laughs> the love of God is unreal and religion has got it twisted where people are afraid of God and afraid to come into his presence and somewhere along the way we've got to get a revelation of the boundless nature of the love of God oh yeah so he comes home and guess what dad had been going out every day looking out the window to see if his boy was coming home he didn't go chase him. He wasn't going to coerce or force or manipulate, but he was there waiting. <laughs> I know he's going to learn the lesson eventually. <laughs> I know he's going to come back, and, and I want him to come back. I want him to be restored. And when he came, uh, you know the story. The father ran out, embraced him, kissed him, and he starts to say this uh, lesson that, uh, or this, this little saying that he's rehearsed in his mind. I don't deserve. I don't deserve to be your son. Maybe I can just eat, live in the service. And his dad silences him in a sense, he says, come on in. He tells the servants, he says, get a, get a robe, put a ring on his finger. Let's uh, begin a celebration. And by the way, I want you to kill the fatted calf. The last point, the fatted calf. The fatted calf, what does that mean? What is a fatted calf? There's lots of animals, lots of calves, but there is one calf. What, what this is referring to in Scripture, there is one calf that isn't allowed to be with the rest and graze out in the grass, but he's kept in a stall where lack of exercise makes him chubby. Things, same thing works with us, amen? Not only that, but they don't give him plain feed, just grass and hay and so forth, but they divert grain to this calf so that when they cut this calf up 
the meat is marbled with fat. And that fat brings, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but I don't like meat without fat in it because when you get that ribeye that's got ribbons of fat in it, the flavor is off the charts. I know it's the wrong time to talk about this on Father's Day at one in the afternoon. (laughs) But the fatted calf was set aside and fed special grain for a long time so that it became ribboned with fat. Listen to this. You don't fat a calf in an hour and you don't fat a calf. Now think about this. This is something I heard recently. 